lesson this morning is from Epiphany. Um, it's actually, it's from Jeremiah, sorry. <laughs> 17 verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mortals their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not course, cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 1 in the prayer book on page 585 or on the screen. Also on the... So if you will read after the asterisks, I'll read to that. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and meditate on his law day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in the season with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. The wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes. In the, the sinner in the counsel of the righteousness. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. The word is near you, deep within you. The word is known. save you the word is in your heart the holy gospel of our lord jesus christ according to luke glory to you lord christ jesus came down with the 12 apostles and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. 
And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor among you, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and defame you, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. All righty, please be seated. So we, before we get to our special, not special guest, she's not a guest, um, <laughs> before we get to the story, I just want to check in with you folks. So as we were uh, doing Psalm 1 together with Donna and you saw all that stuff about the wicked and the righteous, you understand that we're both, right? That we're the wicked and the righteous all rolled into one. You get that, right? Everybody go like this. Yes, Brother Jeff, we get it. Good answer. Um, so on that note, and um, we'll get back in a minute to the, the blessings and the woes uh, in the Gospel of Luke, but to get us in the zone for that, we have this morning our very own Joy McLean. Pardon me? You know? Okay. Well, hello again. By that I mean, I last stood up here in this process. <laughs> about four years ago. So hello again. At that time I told you a bit about my married life and how I ended up here at St. Peter's in 2015. And this time I would like to tell you a little bit about my growing up in my religion at the time. I spent my first 25 years of life as a Christian scientist. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. My goodness, amazing. Well, for those who don't, religion, it was a religion, or is a religion, founded by a woman in New England in 1866. And her name was Mary Baker Eddy. And my Christian science church was in downtown San Bernardino, California. And it was built in 1917. So. It was a very interesting and, I think, beautiful building. And I'm going to take you on a tour. 
there's no way I'm going to get into the theology of Christian science here <laughs> or at any time like this. It takes, I think, a whole class to do that. But I'm going to take you on a tour. So you've arrived at the church in San Bernardino, California, Southern California, on a lovely spring morning. And you, we are see in front of us this building that I like to call the castle. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. We would go up, we are going to go up, a wide bank of steps leading up to the large double doors at the top. And as you're going up, if you look to the left, you are going to see an unusual roof line up there, which included two tower-like protrusions, meaning it wasn't a full tower, it was like the front half of it, with crenellated top edges going. My sister, who's here by the way to cheer me on, <laughs> says it's a Moorish style. Okay, but it, to me it looked like a castle, the top of a castle and they looked like notched battlements. And I could imagine the knights standing up there, crouched behind the little slits with their crossbows ready. So I hurry up the steps. I wonder if the building's design had anything to do with the fact that it was built during World War I, and there was probably a lot of forethinking going on, who knows, and the artists or the architect, what he had in mind, who knows. But the building had lots of lovely stained glass windows of various sizes, different shapes, different sizes, but the same glass in every one. And these designs were not religious, like ours here on the side are not religious, but they were a non-representational, meaning no religious pictures in them, an art deco design with yellow being the predominant color. We also had a very large, round, stained glass dome over the center of the auditorium where the services were held. So the building was a different shape than this, but anyhow, it was up there big and round and blue. Unfortunately, by the time I got there, the dome could not be enjoy enjoyed as intended because during World War II, would you believe, it had been covered up with a false roof to help protect it perhaps from bombing, who knows? And they never took that roof down. So it was a kind of very muted blue dome, but lovely anyhow. So now, upon entering the church through those double doors at the top of the steps, there was a large foyer with doors to the main auditorium. And all the doors, both the outside the one we've just entered and the ones coming up, had an usher to open them for you. The foyer was also where the congregation gathered to socialize a bit, only a bit, and no coffee hour, after the church service, and there was no parish hall. The auditorium had rows of comfortable seats, not like these pews, but comfortable, <laughs> which, which faced a platform, but different, which held Two upholstered chairs, very comfortable also, and a large podium for two readers. So we had readers. No sermon. Whoops, sorry, that comes later. A double podium for two readers who read the, the lesson that we were going to hear. And there was no altar. No altar. On either side of the readers' platforms on the walls, on either side of them, were two large plaques 
hanging on the walls. One had a quote from the Bible painted on it, and the other was a Christian science quote. Beyond these, there were no decorations. There was nothing to see in that church that indicated that we were in a church, as far as we're concerned. No religious art, no crosses, no pictures, no pictures on our windows, so different. There were two Sunday services and two Sunday schools at 9.15 and 11. The one hour service was composed of listening to two readers read the weekly lesson. And we would, the congregation would sing hymns. And at one point during the service, a soloist presented a sacred music selection. No sermon, no priest, no communion. The weekly lesson read during the services at church and also used as a basis for discussion in the Sunday school classes was read or intended to be read during the prior week at home by each person. So when they came supposedly on Sunday, they'd done it, they'd studied it, they were used to it, they heard it again for the final time and it supposedly sunk in by then. The weekly lessons were printed in a pamphlet called the Quarterly and all the Christian science churches throughout the world were reading the same lesson each week. Kind of similar, I guess, to our lectionary. Midweek was the other time we went to church. We went to the Wednesday evening testimony meeting, with, had, which uh, presented readings from the Bible and one of the Christian science writings by Mrs. Eddy. And there was hymn singing and the offering of testimonies which was when anyone who wanted to could stand up and say something about their Christian science studies during the week or their Christian science experiences during the week. And religious holidays were not recognized. There were no special services of any kind at Lent, at Easter, at Advent, or at Christmas. There were no vestments there were no lovely hangings for our tables and altar. However, Thanksgiving was celebrated with a special Thanksgiving service. That service was similar to a Sunday service, again, but shorter to allow time for members of the congregation to stand up and offer statements of gratitude. Other than that Sunday, those Sunday morning services and Sunday school and that Wednesday evening service, there were no other activities held in the church for the congregation. No Bible study, no meetings of ministry groups, no outside groups coming in to use our facilities. That was it, Sunday and Wednesday. So now, we've finished our tour. We're going back out to the foyer and down a hallway, which takes us to the Sunday school, which is where I spent my time. I started attending Sunday school when I was about three and continued attending advancing up through the classes until I reached the age of 18 and graduated from Sunday school. Same time I graduated from high school <laughs> that year. As you entered the large room, you would see along one wall a row of about four small little cubby type rooms. Big enough for holding a small round table, a few small chairs, and that of course is where the little kids were, the youngest classes. These cubbies had curtains to pull across their openings to keep down the noise, to keep down the distractions for the little kids. And the rest of the room was filled with 
larger round tables and chairs for the classes of various sizes, or various ages, I should say. The kids were various sizes of various ages. And from an early age, because of that experience, we learned to sit quietly and speak softly. And we were able, allowed to go to church if our parents wanted us to on, say, Wednesday nights, because we had learned because to sit quietly and speak softly, or not at all in church. So, we're done with our tour. The rest about me, after about 25 years of life, I gradually drifted away from Christian science. For many years, I had no interest in becoming involved with any religion. Then I was about 55 years old, and I finally made the final break with Christian science and officially resigned from the, what we called the Mother Church, the headquarters of our church in Boston. And when I got to Chris, Carson City, I was 70, and I was ready for a new direction. St. Peter's was here, waiting with open arms. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to just say real quickly, my sister is here today to support me. Thank you. And with her help, I have come up with a few photos. So if you catch me after the service and want to see what a picture of my castle looked like, I've got it. <laughs> Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you so much, Joy. I, um, it turns out I've actually been in that uh, Christian Science Building in San Bernardino, and then I don't know how long ago it was, but Marietta and I visited the Mother Church in Boston. Yeah, huge. And they told me to take my hat off, yeah. Because I do that all the time, I, I just forget. Um, so in keeping with Joy's theme of the tour, um, I just finished reading a series of books, 15 books, by a guy named Mark Schweitzer called the Liturgical Mystery Series. And they're set uh, in an Episcopal church in the, the foothills of the Appalachians in the Carolinas. And the main character is... The organist at this Episcopal church, he's also um, the chief of police in town. He's a total smart aleck, and he's a writer uh, or a wannabe writer in the vein of who's, who was the classic author. Anyway, so he has, a, he has his own little tour that I'm going to uh, follow with joy. So he says, uh, Episcopalians have all sorts of fancy names for everything. And, and let me preface this by saying, you can tell the priorities of any faith community walking into the building and paying attention to the furniture. Like Joy was explaining, no, no altar, just two, two big chairs, right? Um, and same here, you walk into this building, what's the first thing you encounter? The baptismal font, and then you see the lectern for the word, and then you see the altar for uh, communion, and so it gives you a sense of the priorities. So he goes on. Where the Baptists and Christian scientists entered through the foyer, we came into the narthex. When the Pentecostals gathered in the auditorium, we met in the nave. Did you know that that's what this space is called? The nave? There you go. Don't ask. Um, our transepts, you know what a transept is? If you see a church building in the shape of a cross with little tchotchkes going off to either side, those are transepts. 
Our transepts are known in Presbyterian circles as overflow seating. <laughs> the Assembly of God Church has a stage. We have a chancel. The vestments and other items for worship are kept in the sacristy, known to Unitarians as the second linen closet on the right. <laughs> These, all parts of the ecclesiastical lectionary left over from the Romans, were probably retained to make the other denominations feel inferior. <laughs> and if you, if you haven't read these, you talk to Marilyn, they're just, they're hilarious books. Um, and, and he must have worked in a church because you can't make stuff up like this. So today is also, in addition to being the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, it is also the feast day of the Reverend Absalom Jones, who was the first African-American uh, to be ordained a priest in the newly forming Episcopal Church uh, in the United States. And he lived from 1746 to 1818. I was off by a hundred years. Uh, we were talking earlier about whether he was a contemporary of Mary Baker Eddy. He was not. He preceded her. But he served slave communities uh, in the colonies uh, forming into states. And so we remember him this day. Um, so back to the scene, and of course you recall that we're, we're the wicked and the righteous all rolled into one, right? Everybody go like this. Good? All right. You're in the zone. So when Jesus starts uh, launching with who is blessed and who is woeful, or whatever the word might be, uh, I like to translate them as the good Anyas and the alas and alax, which I think is as close as I'll ever get to Shakespeare. Um, they sound as if he's issuing judgment against this huge crowd that has gathered with him, not on the hillside, this is not the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, he comes down the hill, he's on a flat surface, this is known as the Sermon on the Plain. Not the airplane, but the flat plane. Uh, and, and this crowd, enormous crowd, according to the author, has gathered. And he issues what we know as, uh, or what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Except, in the Gospel of Matthew, you have the woes, or the alasses and alacts. And most of us have been hardwired to hear these as judgments on these people. You know, if you're poor, then you're blessed, and if, you, and if you're rich, then woe to you, you sorry so-and-so. And that's not what's going on here. He is describing what happens when we land in certain places in our lives. And that, for instance, as a result of wealth, we can find ourselves separated and disconnected because Nobody's the boss of us, and we declare ourselves autonomous, right? And Jesus says, be watch out for that, because it's going to get you. Uh, and not as in God's going to get you, but as in you are going to find yourself completely isolated and then wondering what happened to everyone. 
So, but here's the image. Here's the scene. This huge crowd has gathered, and the author tells us that those who are possessed are cured. But that there comes the moment when the entire crowd, everyone who has gathered, is healed. Everyone. Whether they ask for it or not. And I want you to imagine yourself, you know, on, on that plane, in that large space, gathered with all these people, jostling around, limping and gimping and hurting, whatever. I mean, they're being crushed by Imperial Rome. They're living in a war zone. Their lives are being dismantled. And they are healed. Each and every last living one of them. And this gives a clue as to the nature of healing and curing from the biblical tradition. Yeah, you can be cured, but to be healed is to be restored to your place in the community, which for these ancient people was huge as they're being dismantled by imperial Rome. And the invitation of today's gospel is to imagine the same for us. When we gather in Jesus' name, whether we ask for it or not, we're healed, we're made whole, we are restored. We find our place, lo and behold, in the community. And there are some things that are helpful for us in order to fully participate in that. And one of them is uh, that we give ourselves permission to stop comparing our insides to everyone else's outsides. Let me say that again. That we give ourselves permission to stop comparing our insides to everyone else's outsides. You know how you do this, for better or worse, and to give ourselves permission to stop. And when we stop, when we catch ourselves, and I, in all honesty, I can't remember a day when I wasn't doing that. It's, it seems to be sort of an automatic thing, you know, comparing myself to everyone else on the planet. And either winning or losing, usually losing, um, and just to stop, to cease and desist. I was given this lovely book as a gift. The title of it is The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it's by a gentleman named Charlie Mackenzie. Is that how you pronounce it? And it turns out that he was born in England, but he has spent a lot of time in southern Africa co-running a social enterprise which helps families of low and no income to become beekeepers. Right? <laughs> and uh, I've finished the part in the... It's, it's an amazing book, and, and it, has, it has pictures, <laughs> which is right in my zone. And the artwork is fabulous. 
And so, uh, so far, it's the boy and the mole that are kind of wandering around and they're having this conversation. And the boy says to the mole, what do you think is the biggest waste of time? And the mole turns and looks at him and says, comparing yourself to others. And the boy says, I wonder if there is a school of unlearning. Well, maybe St. Peter's can be a school of unlearning. <laughs> and that we can give ourselves permission to stop comparing our insides to other people's outsides in order to experience this, this wholeness that has been already bestowed upon us, uh, no judgment included, uh, that we are healed, made whole, that you and I are restored as we live and breathe. Give it up for Joy McLean. Take a nice deep breath. Well, we have our work cut out for us this week. Go forth, reflecting upon the priorities expressed in the furniture of our lives, unlearning the autonomy that separates us one from the other, reconciling our insides with others' outsides, restores our place in the whole community. Alleluia, alleluia.